We are excited to introduce the first edition of the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. This podcast will be produced bi-weekly, and we plan to bring you interviews with industry experts, up-and-coming athletes, and veteran coaches. We also hope to give you context and analytical insight to better understand some of the trends in the game. For our debut podcast, we have two guests. One is Futures League Commissioner Joe Palucci, who will lay out his blueprint for bringing high-level college baseball to New England fans within the next month. Our second guest is New England Baseball Journal editor Mike Z, who recently put the finishing touches on the summer edition of New England Baseball Journal. He'll share some behind-the-scenes insights on some of the top stories we've been working on. Of course, to get more insight on any of the stories or topics you hear discussed on the podcast, visit the New England Baseball Journal website at baseballjournal.com. Without further ado, let's get right to the interview with Futures League Commissioner Joe Paolucci. The 2020 College World Series was canceled on March 13th, and a steady stream of cancellation news across all levels of baseball has followed. There was no high school or prep season across any state in New England. The Little League Baseball World Series has been canceled. Major League Baseball owners and players are currently at an impasse in their negotiations for plans to start the 2020 season, and Minor League Baseball appears to be in dire straits. For the last three months, we've received very ray, very few rays of hope in the baseball world, but we recently found one through the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. The seven New England teams in the Futures League are currently filling out their rosters with plans to start a 40-game season on July 1st. Yesterday, we posted a story on the New England Baseball Journal website, baseballjournal.com, with a sneak peek of some of the standout players on those rosters. With the cancellation of the Cape Cod Baseball League and New England Collegiate Baseball League seasons earlier this spring, the Futures League figures to offer the best show in town from a summer collegiate baseball perspective. Today, on the Baseball Journal podcast, I'm joined by Futures League Commissioner Joe Palucci. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Um, we've been posting stories on BaseballJournal.com uh, for the last probably two. I guess we posted the Q&A with you and then yesterday the sneak peek of the rosters. And there has been just a ton of interest in people who are ready for baseball and they want to see it come back and they're just really excited. So we're, we're thrilled to have you on for the podcast. This is actually our first one. Uh, Joe, I don't mean for this to sound like a criticism of the Cape League or NACBL because both of those leagues are working with a different set of circumstances with players coming in from all over the country and staying with host families. Uh, historically, the Futures League is a regional league with local players commuting to games by car. But still, it does right now with everything going on, it takes some creativity and determination to forge ahead with plans to play competitive sports and even more so when you're the first one of the first to come back. How close have you come to canceling this season? Uh, <clears throat> well, I would say I, I don't think we've come close at all. I mean, the, the whole, you know, over the last two months, two and a half months, whatever it's been, I mean, we've we've really been focused on doing whatever we need to do to, to play, right? Like our goal all along was we're going to do whatever we have to do to play until somebody tells us we can't play. Um, so, you know, we, we did have some discussions about canceling it but i think it, in the end like we decided what was best for us was that we would just kind of wait this thing out and, and see if um you know things would start to open up for everybody and it's appearing that it that it will you know i i, I feel confident um, I'm, ca I'm cautiously optimistic that july 1st we're going to be able to open 
um, you know, there's still a ton of uh, obstacles that, that we need to, to overcome, but um, we're getting, we're, we're getting some, some really good guidance on what we need to do to, to make this happen. So, um, you know, it's still a battle, but, but we're heading in the right direction, I think. Yeah. And I think that was part of the reason everybody was so discouraged or disappointed. I'm sure you saw the other day when the Boston Marathon was camp AA because it, there is still time and you kind of would like to see things play out and see, you know, what structures we can put in place to make this safe. And it's just so far out that it just seems like, you know, let's wait and see. There's no reason. And like I said, it, with the Cape League and the NACBL, when you have host families and guys coming in from out of town, it's kind of a different deal. But this hopefully, you know, it can work out and it can work out in a safe way. And I know it's still a month away. So and so much can change in the next month. Uh, I feel like we're in a much different place today than we were at the end of April. I actually recently read a survey from one of the Little League affiliates in Massachusetts, and it said almost 75% of parents want to see their kids have some semblance of a season starting July 1st. Uh, with, with that said, they want to see their kids play, but they're kind of leaving it up to the league administrators to figure out how to do it in a safe way. What safety measures will you have in place for your uh, players on July 1st? Yeah, so it's, it's certainly um, going to vary from city to city. Um, in, in terms of what the, the their um, board of health is going to put in place for for specific guidelines for each stadium, um, but you know we're 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 optimistic that we're going to be able to have fans. Now, now certainly they're going to have to be socially distanced. Um, you know, many of our ballparks. Um, let me just use Campanelli Stadium in Brockton as an example. Um, it seats six thousand. You know, and, and very rarely do we get six thousand people in there. So. You know, we can we can very easily socially distance our fans, um, you know, in terms of the players on the field, though, um, that's that's the tough part. Right. Like, I, I think the the umpires are probably going to have to be, you know, wearing, um, you know, face coverings, um, maybe possibly the coaches as well. Um, you know, it, it's not safe for the for the players to to, you know, have something covering their mouth and their nose when they're they're trying to, you know, um, play sports and when it's probably going to be 95 degrees out. So that, that doesn't seem possible, but um, you know, certainly offering sanitizer, hand sanitizer to the, to our fans and our players and um, whatever the guidelines that the, the board of health are going to put in front of us, we're, we're going to, we're going to try to adhere to those and, and possibly go one step further, you know, whatever it takes for us to get on the field, we're, we're willing to do. Um, you know, that being said, it, it the, the challenge in all this is, you know, I said earlier, like, you know, we're, we're going to try to play until somebody tells us we can't play, you know, at some point though, we have to make a decision that we either are or aren't. We can't make that decision, um, you know, the day before uh, opening day. Um, so like we, we need to get, um, we need to get the proper guidance from, from the, from the, the governor. And I, and I think we're going to get that um, in terms of what phase we, we are in exactly. Um, but once we get that, we'll, we'll make an announcement one way or the other. And as I said earlier, I think it's, I think it's trending in the right way for us. Yeah, it seems like it. Um, a lot of these little leagues are actually starting to talk about coming back around the same time in July. Um, encouraging, you know, for those of us who love baseball and those who want to see it at some point this summer is as long as it's safe for everyone to do it. Now, um, I spoke to you, uh, I think it was last week and you even have a plan in place to generate some revenue if you're not able to bring fans into the stadiums. What does that entail? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, when we, we, this was probably goes back, I guess about three, four weeks ago and we started on our weekly owners call, we, we really started talking about the possibility of having to play with no fans. Um, and that's when we approached, um, a company called blue frame technology. Uh, I think they're based, um, down in, I think they're in Kentucky. Um, and, and they're offering their software, um, that will enable us to live stream our games and then offer uh, league passes in the form of a um, subscription to our fans. So, you know, for some of our fans that don't feel comfortable about coming out to uh, the ballparks, they'll still be able to follow all of our teams, you know, through, through this uh, streaming service. So that's when we partnered with them. Um, and, you know, regardless of whether or not we have fans or not, I think this is something that uh, really, um, you know, brings the league to the next level going forward. You know, this is something we're going to be able to to offer to our fans and, and to our players. Yeah, I think it's a great idea because when you think about like when you describe it as your fans, I know there are definitely uh, Futures League fans that go every summer, but I think it'll be even a bigger pool of fans this year. As You know, there's no Cape League. There's no NACBL. I don't know that Major League Baseball will be playing. You know, this is probably the highest quality baseball that you're going to be able to see uh, either streaming it or, you know, in person for sure in, in, in New England. So it's an exciting, I, I would imagine it's, it's, it's exciting for the, uh, the league in general. And like I said yesterday on BaseballJournal.com, we, we posted the rosters, or at least, you know, it seems like about five of the teams have pretty set rosters in place. The North Shore Navigators, uh, they're loaded this year. They have uh, Cody Morissette and Sal Frelick. They're, they have a ton of big-time D1 players, guys who could get drafted next year. Brockton has three guys with ties to the University of Virginia um, with a local guy, Evan Slate. Do you, do you think this will be the most talented collection of players in league history? Um, I mean, so this is only my second year as commissioner, so I can't speak to the, you know, the, the, the previous uh, eight seasons, but uh, it's pretty good. I mean, certainly the, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're um, Profiting off of, you know, the, the Cape players and the New England League players um, not not having a place to play this summer. So we were able to get some of those players. But um, our general managers are, are working really, really hard at building these rosters because they've essentially had to do it uh, twice, really, you know, because we had our original rosters. And then, you know, one of the, the, the strategies that we've kind of had to take on is, you know, we do have to have more local players than than we've had in the past. So, um you know, a lot of the, the Boston College players and the Northeastern players and the UConn players, um, you know, we were able to kind of play some of those guys that we normally wouldn't. So, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, I, I would say that the talent is going to be uh, really, really strong this year. And, and you brought up North Shore, um, Derek January, their new owner, and, and he, he's the general manager as well. I mean, he works really hard at building, building that team. Um, and he's got some great connections in the baseball world. So, um, yeah, I mean, on paper, they, they look, uh, <laughs> they look really good. Yeah. It looks like, uh, some of the, like, you know, Pittsfield, obviously they don't, they don't have as many kids living in that area that are playing big time college baseball or Westfield. Some of those, uh, teams are a little bit harder to fill out the roster with local guys, but I mean, so far the the ones that the rosters that I've looked at, these are big time. Like you said, it's guys, a number of guys who would probably be playing on the Cape this summer. If they if there were a Cape League season, so that's going to be exciting. I was surprised you you mentioned Northeastern. I was surprised I didn't see Sebastian Keen's name on our roster, but uh, one of our guys, Josh Cummins, looked into it. It sounds like um, 
Northeastern. There are a couple other teams out there who are kind of shutting down their pitchers for fear of risk of injury because they, you know, they haven't been on the mound since early March. Have you heard that from many college coaches around around college baseball? Um, so not not me personally because the coaches deal probably more with the, the GMs than me. But I, I have heard that uh, from a couple, um, and it makes sense. I mean, they haven't really done much for for three months, right? Um, but I think. You know, we did open the rosters up, so there's no um, there's no real lo- roster limit anymore just for the season. Um, so teams are are going to have the luxury of kind of bringing guys in and out. And um, you know, we also have our our, our pitching guidelines that um, you know really protect our pitchers from throwing too much. But you know, we have those pitching guidelines. But our, our managers are, are, I mean, that's their number one priority is protecting the the arms of our pitchers. So. Um, there's never really a, a question that we're going to push these guys, but you know, this year in particular, um, it, it's going to be tough because you know, there are, the rosters are loaded. I mean, you're not going to see too many guys going, uh, seven innings probably this year. Um, it's going to probably going to be more one to two inning stints with maybe some work in the bullpen afterwards. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are all, these are all really great challenges to have, um, because that would mean that we're on the field and we're playing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all, you know, Everybody, that's all everybody wants to see. And Keen's kind of a different deal anyway. I think he got offered a, you know, almost seven figures last year out of high school. So, you know, when there's that much money and it's a big time asset and you, and your season gets screwed up the way it did this year, maybe it is better to kind of go at your own pace. But like you said, I think it is going to be a lot of guys that are protected one or two innings at a time because these, these rosters are loaded. Um, one other thing that, you know, early when this went on, um, we, we have a weekly conference call, you know, with my colleagues at New England Baseball Journal. And we talked about some some summer league would kind of seize this opportunity because, they, you know, with the, a lot of them, if you're bringing in players from all over the country and you have the host families and there would be some league that would come forward and say, look, I think we can do this in a safe way and we can we can make it exciting. Um how excited are you to kind of have filled that void with everybody just dying for sports right now? And, and, and now it looks like you're going to be able to bring it to us. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be excited when we actually do it. I mean, like I said, there's still some, some hurdles to overcome. So I, I don't want to get, uh, you know, too far ahead of, uh, too far ahead of myself with that. But, um, but definitely, I mean, I think that, um, you know, not to, to make it sound any more than it is, but like there's, there's some healing that needs to go on in the baseball world. And, you know, for these kids and their parents, they didn't have, you know, they, they lost out on their spring season. So yeah, it's definitely going to feel good to be able to bring it, uh, to bring baseball back to them. Um, but, you know, again, long way to go. We got to make sure that we do it in the right way and that we, we do it in a safe way for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, like you said, there are guys, and I know when we spoke to this, there are guys who, you know, we're counting on getting drafted this year or at least, you know, raising their stock so that they could get drafted next year. And then all of a sudden, you know, for a lot of them, their sophomore or junior seasons of college got wiped out. And without this opportunity to play this summer, there's an, op- you know, there's a chance if things go back up in the fall, they could go 12, 18 months without playing. So this is a great opportunity for them to get back out there, showcase their skills, uh, because who knows when it might happen again. Well, Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was fun to catch up, and we're looking forward to best of luck to you over the next month. We're hoping that uh, we see you guys back out there on July 1st. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Good talking to you. You too.
And for anyone else who wants to uh, catch up on Futures League material, you can go to baseballjournal.com. We have a Q&A with Joe, as well as a sneak peek at all the rosters. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, everyone. If you're just discovering New England Baseball Journal through our podcast, be sure to check us out online at baseballjournal.com, where you'll find daily content on the New England baseball scene, with in-depth coverage on preps, high school, the youth game, college baseball, MLB draft, college commitments, the minors, summer leagues, and the pros, and a whole lot more. Right now, you can get an all-access plan, which includes unlimited access to our daily website, plus every issue of our print magazine delivered to your home, office, dorm, or clubhouse for only $99.99 per year. It's simple. Just log on to BaseballJournal.com and click on the subscribe button to find the subscription that's right for you. And get in the game with New England Baseball Journal. New England Baseball Journal's Around the Diamond segment will include some quick hit stories and nuggets from the regional baseball scene. Last week on BaseballJournal.com, we gave a sneak peek at the Futures League rosters. The biggest takeaways, the rosters for the Brockton Rocks and the North Shore Navigators are loaded. Brockton's roster includes former University of Virginia freshman Evan Slate, a Belmont Hill alumnus who will transfer to Rutgers this fall. While it didn't work out for him at the University of Virginia, he's a big-time talent who was arguably New England's top high school recruit last fall. He will be joined by former teammate Zach Giloff, who at Virginia led the ACC with a 746 slugging percentage before the season came to an abrupt end in March. The Rocks' pitching staff includes Northeastern commit Michael Gemma, who we're looking forward to seeing against college competition. The North Shore Navigators include some of the top New England prospects for the 2021 MLB Draft, BC's Cody Morissette and Sal Frelick. Both guys are being projected as first or second round picks in next year's draft. The Navigators also have Vanderbilt commit Calvin Hewitt from the Portsmouth, New Hampshire area. Stanford sophomore Max Meyer as a, star, as a projected starting pitcher for the Navigators. Also, more news from around the region. Throughout the spring, we've been tracking the movement of the NCAA transfer portal. After the NCAA granted all athletes of spring sports an additional year of eligibility, many athletes entered the portal to search for a new location to continue their career. In some cases, seniors are looking for school that will offer graduate programs in their specific area of interest as they finish their respective baseball careers. In the last week on BaseballJournal.com, we reported that former Holy Cross catcher Riley Livingston is headed to Gonzaga University. UMass Dartmouth pitcher Nate Tellier, who had received scholarship offers from Division I schools, has decided to stay at University of Mass- UMass Dartmouth. Former UConn catcher Paul Gazzo has still yet to make a decision on his plans for next season. He entered the transfer portal after the season was canceled. He was expected to lose his starting position due to the return of Patrick Winkle from injury. Also, last and not least, the MLB draft is scheduled to begin June 10th. Tune in to BaseballJournal.com or follow us on Twitter at BaseballJournal. To follow our draft coverage, we'll be updating it every day throughout the draft at BaseballJournal.com. Mike Z is a longtime contributor to New England Baseball Journal. He's covered every level of baseball over the years, both with New England Baseball Journal and in his former role as a staff writer for Seacoast Media Group in New Hampshire. 
When New England Baseball Journal needed a new editor earlier this spring, Mike was an obvious choice. His official start date as a full-time editor for New England Baseball Journal was March 23rd. And just to remind our listeners, the entire sports world came to a halt due to the coronavirus outbreak during the week of March 18th. Mike, welcome to the good, welcome to the show and good timing for your big career move, huh? Yeah, that's a nice welcome to, to your new job gift of the, uh, the timing of everything. But uh, thanks, Dan. Good to be on with you. Nice. Well, we're excited to have you because we uh, I know you just finished putting together the summer edition of New England Baseball Journal, which is going to be packed with content on top prospects, the MLB draft, ways in which players are continuing to play and compete during the coronavirus outbreak. So um, we're excited to go through that with you and to share with our listeners what they can be expecting when the print edition comes out. And just like uh, just like we always do, all of the stories that appear in the print edition will also appear on our website at baseballjournal.com. That's New England Baseball Journal's website, baseballjournal.com. I know we're all really excited about the content we put together, Mike, and of course our audience um, is is probably most interested in our cover feature. Uh, which is Thomas White. He's a Phillips Andover freshman. He's ranked number one in the country by perfect game. So that's in the entire nation. He's the number one prospect, which you don't often find out of players from New England. He popped up on our radar, uh, New England Baseball Journal's radar last summer. Um, But it's kind of out of nowhere, which isn't unusual for a 14, 15 year old, because, you know, we don't want to go all in on guys, you know, when they're 12 year old little league baseball all-stars but all of a sudden this guy broke out and he's a legit pro prospect where did he come from and why do you think he elevated so quickly to the number one prospect in the nation yeah uh, it's been a great story to follow and and kind of get to know him and and some of the men who've who've coached him and will be coaching him Uh, and it is a really neat story and it it goes back to last summer Um, you know that's where as a 14 year old down at a a perfect game uh, national tournament touched 92 on the radar all of a sudden, uh, well, you know, eyes perk up, uh, you know, college coaches calling his club coaches, you know, when is he pitching again? When can we see him kind of set off to say, uh, you know, a whirlwind successful summer where he brought that velocity. Uh, he showed some, some, some good movement with, uh, with his pitches, uh, showed some command out there. He's got great size. He's got, you know, genetic gifts in terms of his hands and his feet and, you know, just his overall body. And here was a kid who as a 13 year old was throwing 81 miles an hour his coaches with legends baseball were thinking, okay, give him another year. Maybe he's up in the mid eighties. You know, it wasn't the mid eighties. It was a jump of 11 miles per hour on his fastball touching 92, which is just an incredible jump for a kid from that age, 13 to 14. All of a sudden perfect game has him as the number one freshman high school prospect in the nation. Colleges are calling. He can go, you know, I don't want to say wherever he wants, but it's getting to look that way. And he's just positioned himself for a very bright baseball future. And we have a great story on him in the magazine. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, it's remarkable to go from 81 to 92. And I've been writing about uh, prospects leading into the draft for probably the last five or six years for New England Baseball Journal. And 92 is is that stands out for a high school senior. It, it stands out for guys in college, you know, high, college juniors. If you if there was a guy on Northeastern who threw 92 and he was left handed and good command and, and a good head on his shoulders, like it appears Thomas White has. Um, you know, that's a first round talent and Thomas White's 14. So it's a pretty remarkable story. And we're excited to have him on the cover. Um, what do you think, you know, he, what do you think he's been doing? I know you were the one who wrote this story. So 
what's he been doing during the pandemic to kind of stay busy and stay on top of his class? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. And, and one thing I'll, I'll throw out there right now is, you know, just just talking to him and the people who know him, it's it's not like this ranking has gone to his head. Uh, he, he's a kid who, you know, for his age, he's 15 now, seems seems very mature, seems very, um, you know, in the moment, uh, not beating his chest, slumping his chest, saying I'm the number one rated prospect. He just kind of wants to be a, you know, a regular guy, you know, a regular uh, student at Phillips Andover. He, you know, wishes he had had this baseball season. Uh, which would have been, you know, very exciting one for him and and for Philip Sandover with, uh, you know, the pitching staff that they were bringing back. Uh, you know, played on the squash team in the fall, played JV basketball in the winter, uh, stayed busy. And, and now during during the pandemic, he's he's just trying to stay in shape, get his throwing in, get his work in uh, like prospects at, at any level, you know, in the region, whether it's whether it's high school or whether it's, uh, you know, college kids or whether it's the pros that have been sidelined, you know, since, since spring training. So uh, he, he strikes me as a kid who, who has a plan. He's not a, you know, an outspoken kid, a loud kid, a, a look at me kid. Um, he's just a kid that's got a, you know, very special ability to pitch um, and, and hit. He's a, he's a heck of a hitter. He would have batted in the middle of the Andover lineup this year. Um, you know, he's a, he's a very well-rounded baseball player with a very bright future. And just like the rest of us watching this, watching this play out and, and wondering and hoping the, that the games are going to be back soon. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, it appears maybe they will be for the Futures League, but that wouldn't affect Thomas White because he's obviously too young for that. Um, one of the things that I've noticed over the pandemic, and I'm sure you have too, as you're reporting on guys trying to find places to play and places to work out during the pandemic, it almost seems to be an advantage if you're if you have a brother who's around the same age who plays baseball or if you have or if your dad was a, a former baseball player and you could go outside, you can have a catch with him or you could do batting practice and go to fields together. It almost seems when I see pictures of it or I'm interviewing people who are, you know, are twins or something like that, I'm like, oh, what an advantage that's going to be over these three or four months where everybody else is, you know, trying to get in their workouts where they can. And if you can actually simulate baseball you know close with your siblings and your dad or something like that that really works out and what that leads me to is uh another prospect that we're featuring in this next edition of new england baseball journal harold call he's a senior shortstop from hyde park massachusetts and when we've done the the baseball rankings on our website at baseballjournal.com he always comes up as a guy who who has a high upside he's uh he he played in in the boston city league for a couple of years and he's a University of North Carolina commit. He kind of got lucky because he found a new place to play during this pandemic where they're actually working out together. They're playing baseball. They're competing. Well, tell us about Harold Call. Yeah, a, a little bit about his story. Like you said, he's, he's a Boston kid, um, you know, played up here at, at Cathedral, um, decided, uh, made the decision for his senior year. He was going to enroll in the Georgia Premier Academy. Uh, that's a, an academy based in Statesboro, Georgia, a little off the beaten path, uh, you know, through through some cotton fields. Uh, Georgia Southern University uh, stands out. And uh, he's basically, uh, you know, I don't want to, he's seen his stock rise because he's been able to uh, continue playing baseball when a lot of kids his age are not able to play baseball. They're down there at the Premier Academy, which is basically a quarantined environment. They've got the dorms. They've got the fields. They've got all the kids staying there. Uh, they can practice. They can have intra-squad scrimmages. And the goal now is for this kid who's, you know, whose stock is really going up, who's shown that he can hit the ball as well as he's always been able to field it. Uh, it the goal is now to just to get eyeballs on him, let people know what he's doing. He's got the North Carolina commitment 
in his pocket. And it's just a question of, uh, you know, is he going to go or how high is he going to go in the draft and, and have a decision to make? Yeah, and I remember last summer, he, he was one of the guys who was a, an area code games pick, pro showcase pick. And those are the elite tournaments. If you're if you're you know heading into your senior year of high school, those are the big ones where the scouts are going to go and the college coaches are all going to go. And he was kind of a surprise pick because he's loaded with talent, but maybe didn't have the pedigree or the experience that some of these other guys who have been on this uh, showcase scene for the last three or four summers. And I remember talking to some scouts that were at those tournaments and they said, you know, a couple of times he had a couple of base base running blunders or, you know, he didn't know where to relay the throw. And they said, if this guy, you know, can put it all together with his physical skill set, he could really be a guy who goes in the, you know, the top two or three rounds. So it's exciting for him. Not exciting. Nobody's excited about the pandemic, obviously, but um, you know, the fact that he's gaining almost a spring season, on everybody where he can kind of learn the intricacies of the game and um, kind of get the baseball sense about him. I think he is definitely a guy who might sneak into this year's draft because you, you have to remember MLB draft, you know, teams are only getting five picks this year as opposed to they usually get 40. So you're not, you're probably not going to take those, make those conservative picks where you say, Oh, you know, we're in the sixth round here. We need a guy who can be kind of a bullpen catcher for us in the minor league level and then maybe work his way up to triple A and just kind of give us depth if we ever, you know, who, who doesn't have that big league upside. But you're saying, oh, you know, he'll provide depth for us in the minor league system. Now it's like who even knows where minor league baseball is going to be in two years. No. Um, so you really got to draft for upside this year. And Harold calls one of those guys who could really fill that void for teams. When I know we've done a lot of draft coverage for this next edition. What what do you make of the scene where, you know, how do you think it will impact this year's draft that there are only five rounds, there's less money going around, a lot of the money's deferred to 2021. How do you see it impacting the game of baseball in New England? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And, uh, you know, Dan, you, you've covered a bunch of these drafts for us and, and you've got content going up. It seems like every day. And let's remind people that, you know, baseballjournal.com, that's that's your stop. You know, right now, right through the draft, we'll inform you. We'll tell stories that inspire you. Check it out. Check out the magazine, New England Baseball Journal. Um, what do we see? You know, you're at five rounds and there is so much uncertainty about you know, about this game and not just when the major leaguers are coming back or if they're coming back. And, and from all we've heard in the last few days, the sides are you know, a huge chasm between the owners and the players. So we don't know how that's going to play out. Really unfortunate for a lot of our prospects, you know, who were caught up in the minor league, you know, uh, you know, paring down of rosters, cost efficiency moves. Uh, a lot of kids who thought they would be playing minor league baseball this season are in fact are, are no longer, you know, on, on rosters and have to look at their plan B's and, and seeing what's next for them. So I think you touched on it. We've got a five round draft coming up in about a week and a half. Um, we'll get maybe a handful of New England prospects if that uh, coming out of that draft, they are hamstrung by their inability to, to maybe not play a full season in the warm weather climates like the Florida players, the Texas players, the California players. Uh, you've identified you know, some of the best bets that are going to be uh, going off the draft board in these five rounds. You can read all about that at, at New England Baseball Journal and, and BaseballJournal.com. And I think for a kid like Harold Call, who we touched on, that's, just, that's really kind of a wild card. That's, that's a really interesting story about uh, what he's been able to do with his game, uh, you know, to make himself a candidate for this draft uh, and, and whether someone's going to take a shot at him. Yeah, that's right. And, and a couple of guys I like in this year's draft, um, 
you know, I like Jared Schuster. He's a, he's a Wake Forest guy. He was probably their ace. You know, he was their Friday, Friday guy, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season. He was looking like he was going to have a really nice breakout season. Um, Ian Seymour is a Virginia Tech guy. He's a guy who I think is going to be hurt by the fact that there's only five rounds. Like I said earlier, people are going to be drafting for upside right now, less about depth. Ian Seymour is a good pitcher. He's had a good career at Virginia Tech, um, you know, but he's not a guy who has ever dominated at the college level. He's kind of he's always around a 3.5 ER, ERA type of guy. Uh, he's facing good competition at Virginia Tech, but he's just never dominated at the college level. He's had he had a pretty good summer last year on the Cape. I think he's going to get drafted, but maybe not as high. Now the teams are going to be kind of shooting for the moon with upside. If if you are looking for a wild card for a guy who's got, who could get drafted on upside, Brandon Dufault from uh, Northeastern, he hit 97 a couple of summers ago in the NACBL. He's never really put it together at Northeastern. This spring, he kind of started, and he, it looked like he was maybe going to be their closer, at least kind of pick, pitching in the back of end of the bullpen at late in games in high pressure situations he had a pretty good start to the spring but when you look at his resume like he's never really had a really good summer on the cape he he's never really put it all together at northeastern but a guy who throws 97 who knows teams are going to be drafting for upside he could be a guy that goes pretty early um mike i know you've got a couple of guys uh that you're close to from your days up in the portsmouth area cody morissette uh, looking at the 2021 draft, he's a really good kid and and probably a guy who might be okay because he, he's probably going to go on the top five rounds next year. And, you know, the guys who are getting drafted rounds six through 40 this year probably won't knock him back too much. But it is a shame for these 2021 guys who are, who are hoping to get drafted and the money's not going to be there for them. And it's going to be a loaded draft next year. Um Cody Morris said, what, what do you sense? Do you have any sense of how he's dealing with this? It looks like he's going to play in the Futures League this summer, which will be nice. Yeah, I, I, the first thing I'll, I'll say, uh, you know, about Cody, who's really a, a player that we've been following, uh, you know, since he was tearing it up in Little League, uh, is that he's just, a, you know, he's a very upbeat kid and, and he's a very humble kid and he's a kid from a very good family. And, you know, whatever they throw at him, he's going to take in stride, whether it's a batting slump, whether it's a coronavirus pandemic that, that wipes out his, his college season. Uh, so he'll be, he'll be back, whether it's this summer in the Futures League, whether it's next spring at Boston College, you know, leading up to his junior year draft. Uh, I, I think he's going to handle it just fine mentally. You, you feel bad because he's kind of in that group, um, you know, that you could identify of, of the, the baseball players that are really going to, you know, really could take a hit from this. Uh, the, the college sophomores who were on track to be high draft picks next year, how is it going to be affected with so many more prospects in that draft pool because of this year's draft being cut down? You look at the high school and the prep school juniors, uh, you know, who missed out on key critical spring seasons and, you know, could very likely, likely you know, miss out on their entire summer showcase season, which is where a lot of those uh, players get identified by colleges that want to recruit them. Uh, we touched on the minor leaguers, the the kids that, you know, who were going to play this season at age 21 or 22 and now come back next year at age 22 or 23. It's an unforgiving, you know, business model, you know, and every year you get older, your chances dim a little bit more. So you just feel for all those players from the region, uh, you know, who are kind of in those three groups and, and affected by what's going on right now, maybe more than anyone else. But, you know, in, in terms of Cody, 
People are going to keep rooting for him. He's a kid you want to see do well. You want to see him succeed. He has succeeded at every level he's played at. Stand out at Boston College. Going to hear his name called next year at some point. It's just a question of, you know, how is this year's changes going to affect where he hears his name called next year? Right. Yeah. And you really do pull for guys like that. You know, and we're all we're all rooting for everything to kind of return back to normal as much as it can. Hopefully baseball. I've been following Peter Gammons on Twitter. He keeps he keeps saying, like, we need to start thinking about how we want the 2023 baseball season to look and kind of try to work towards that and work our way there over the next couple of years. And I'm always like, oh, man, that sounds like a long way away. But probably not a bad idea to take the long view and say, Hey, how do we get back to 40 rounds? How do we get back to the regular amount of money on all these signing bonus? Uh, hopefully we get there. Well, Mike, um, I really appreciate you taking the time. You've been a great guest. We're going to have you on every time that we uh, roll out a print edition of the magazine to kind of tease it. Cause I think you do a great job of giving us the overview. Um, thanks so much. Like, like we've been saying throughout, if there's any content that you, that you feel like reading from the magazine over the next month, we're going to have it posted on baseballjournal.com. Mike Z is our new print editor, and he is hopefully going to uh, have an easier road over the next couple of months where he's not dealing with baseball being on hold and a coronavirus outbreak and shifting deadlines for the print edition. But Mike, thanks so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Okay, Dan, thanks for having me on for all the great work you do for us. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the first New England Baseball Journal podcast. We plan to publish these biweekly, so tune in after the MLB draft for analysis from Red Sox Regional Scouting Director Ray Fagnant, as well as insight and analysis from other draft experts. Visit BaseballJournal.com to follow all of our draft coverage and follow us at Baseball Journal on Twitter. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you after the draft.